Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is my show. You are welcome to call in if you like. 877-973-7425. You should know at the bottom of the hour, Congressman Kevin Brady, he is the Ranking Republican on the Ways and Means Committee, he's going to be joining me to talk about inflation. Uh, or is he the budget? I think it's Ways and Means in any event. Um, Kevin Brady is going to join me talking about uh, the, the inflation situation. Uh, particularly, you know, it's going to play a role in the federal debt as interest rates go up. And I want to talk about a number of those things. But before I do, uh, related to housing in particular, there there's some data and a story I need to get to. This is from Axios. The headline is Democrats' Worst Trump Nightmare. Listen to this. There's something much worse than losing the House and possibly the Senate that's rattling top Democrats who are studying polling and election trends. It's the possibility of a reelected President Trump with a compliant filibuster-proof Senate majority in January 2025. It's impossible to forecast elections, but you can look at the states with Senate elections in 2024 and see why some Democrats are beginning to sound the alarm. Democrats are sleepwalking into a Senate disaster, Yale Simon Bazelon wrote last week. The 2024 map is much worse than 2022, Bazelon added. A close presidential election, he wrote, could doom Democrats, John Tester in Montana, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, Kristen Sinema in Arizona, plus toss-ups could threaten Stabenow in Michigan and Rosen in Nevada. All the states, hardcore liberalism is a tough sell. Then factor in that most of the GOP senators who stood up to Trump and his brand will be gone. Rob Portman of Ohio, Pat Toomey, Pennsylvania, Jeff Flake of Arizona, possibly Mitt Romney of Utah. Now toss in the widespread belief in both parties that the House majority is going to be lost this year and will be expanded by the Republicans most likely in 2024. And then most worrisome to Democrats, their edge with the Hispanic voters continues to shrink. So you see why John Azalone... President Biden's pollster told Politico it's the worst political environment he's been in. I've got that audio. You need to listen to it. This is Joe Biden's personal pollster. That's exactly right, Tiffany. Morale is extremely low amongst the Democratic coalition. We are seeing cynicism and frustration with a lack of with the perceived lack of progress on uh, on the progressive agenda. And the truth is, 
Democrats have made significant progress on issues that are most important to the Democratic base, but they are not telling that story. And so, you know, a, a part of what we have to do here in the midterm is, is portray a message of unfinished business. And there's two sides of that. A part of that unfinished business is that Trump, we have to put Trump back on the ballot, right? That, that, that the, the multiracial coalition, that surge that you spoke of in 2018 and that, and that came back out in 2020, what united that surge was an anti-MAGA, anti-Trump, anti-racism, uh, uh, a sentiment that, that really started to bubble up in the summer of 2020. We have to put Trump back on the ballot, but that means that does not mean that we, that, that we get to make every Republican seem like Trump. We have to put Trump back on the ballot. That's their way forward. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I want to explain to you why it's not going to work. This is Kevin Hassett. Uh, on television talking about the economy. Not to sound too much like an introductory economics class, let's think about it this way. Suppose you spend 10 bucks and apples cost a dollar a piece, so you get 10 apples, right? And then the next year you spend 10 bucks again and you're thinking, oh, geez, that's great. I've got the same amount of uh, money spent on apples, but the price of apples is $10 an apple. Then you only get one apple, right? And so mm. GDP is sort of the count of the apples. And when prices are going up a lot, then it's really hard for the purchases to sort of stay up, stay up with the prices because wages don't go up enough, incomes don't go up enough to keep up with prices. And so what we're seeing is that real incomes, um, you know, your real ability to pay, are declining right now really quite sharply because inflation is running at close to a 10% annual rate while wages are going up 5 or 6%. You mentioned the jobs numbers, and absolutely you're 100% correct. The jobs numbers don't look so bad. But that's pretty typical in a recession that the jobs numbers don't start to go down uh, until like maybe six months in. Uh, if somebody wants to Google it, the, the phrase is called labor hoarding. And it's what businesses do at the start of a recession because it took them so long to find the worker that they're really reluctant uh, to let them go, even if they're losing money. That Kevin Hassett was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for Donald Trump on CNBC talking about uh, real income is actually in decline because of the inflation issue. The Biden administration could solve the inflation issue by expanding rapidly energy production in the country, which they're opposed to doing. Because they're opposed to doing it, inflation is going to keep going up. This is going to be a problem for the Democrats. On top of that, uh, Politico is now out with their Politico forecast 2022. They have rated every race in play in 2022. Right now, they believe the Senate leans Republican, the House is likely Republican, and Americans will not see a big shakeup in terms of control of gubernatorial mansions between Republicans and Democrats. In the House, Democrats' five-seat majority is highly endangered. In the Senate, their control of a 50-50 chamber hinges on Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, but a Senate map that favors Democrats gives them a better chance of overcoming the expected national headwinds, but it still leans Republican. The Arizona Senate race, toss-up. The Georgia Senate race, toss-up. The Nevada Senate race, toss-up. The Pennsylvania Senate race, toss-up. The Wisconsin Senate race, toss-up. New Hampshire Senate race leans slightly Democrat. Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are Republican. Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada are Democrat. If Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada go Democrat, 
and throw in New Hampshire as well, the Democrat, the Republicans pick up four seats. If they hold Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, which is likely, they have absolutely gotten control of the Senate. In the House, the Republicans only need five seats. And right now, Nebraska's second, which is already Republican, and Texas's 15th, which is Democrat, uh, they look a lock. Uh, Nebraska's second have been redistricted, possibly to make it more Democrat. It's not going to happen. Uh, over and over and over again, it looks like the Republicans are going to pick up seats. This is bad for the Democrats. And they're starting to realize it has longer-term implications for them. And the problem is you're going to have a full-on meltdown very shortly, and the Democrats are going to fly into hysteria because of the problems, because of what we're seeing, because of uh, the Biden administration not realizing where it's headed. They're, They're not playing chess here. They're playing checkers. They're going move to move. They're not thinking about the future, and it's caught up to them now. We're less than a year from the midterm election. It'll happen in November, and all the indicators are it's going to be bad for the Democrats, so bad that on April 13th, 2022, before anyone realized Politico was going to do it, they already said the odds are the GOP takes the Senate and the House. That's why there's so much freak out among the Democrats right now. And it's going to get worse. This gets back into the housing situation. And I mentioned the housing situation yesterday that Republicans need to do something about what's going on in the housing market out there. A number of hedge funds and private equity groups are buying up every available single family home in the country, forcing people who do not want to be renters to be renters because there's no available land. There's no available uh, house for anyone who wants to buy. I'm running into this with friends of mine. I We've got some family friends who sold their house recently. They put it on the market and it was gone within 48 hours. They weren't paying attention and just assumed they would be able to move in to a new house. They'd be able to get a new house. They couldn't. They've had to move in with family trying to find a new house. And increasingly it looks like they're probably going to wind up renting something and eating into the equity they thought they could have for a house. And this is becoming a problem. Renters, according to CNN this morning, are growing pessimistic. They will ever own a home as prices keep rising. On average, only 43.3% of renters expect to own a home at some point in the future, down from 51.6% last year, according to the Federal Reserve of New York survey. That's the lowest level since the New York Fed began asking the question in 2015. High prices appear to be a driving factor. 22% of households in the survey report they planned to buy a home, but now view renting as a better financial decision. Most respondents either prefer to rent or said they're waiting for prices to come down before buying. The finding comes after home prices spiked last year by the most on record, surpassing even the blockbuster growth of the early 2000s housing bubble. On top of that, home buyer uh, mortgage rates are at an all-time high. Mortgage rates rose at a record pace in March after the Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate for the first time since 2018 in hopes of cooling rising inflation. So now it's more expensive to buy a house, not just because of price, but because of mortgage. 
and there's scarcity in the market. So you've got these hedge funds and private equity groups coming in and buying up available single-family housing, not just apartment complexes. So BlackRock is the big one that's buying single-family homes and forcing people to rent. Blackstone is another one, and they're now buying up student apartments around the country in college towns, thinking that students are going to be paying higher rental prices. So it's going to cost your education to go up because your rent's going to go up where you're staying for your college unless you're in the dorm. Utah may have a solution. This is from Bloomberg News. Utah's Senate Bill 34 aims to increase the state supply of affordable housing. The plan in Utah would be to get rid of all the NIMBY blockades in local communities. And that's one of the big issues, particularly out west, is well-to-do people do not want more houses near them. And so well-to-do people are blocking land development. The balance of support for this legislation comes from um, uh, conservatives in Utah. They do not want NIMBY people blocking the development of housing. Uh, Cities would be able to meet obligations by legalizing single-room occupancies, relaxing minimum lot sizes, encouraging the conversion of unused retail strips into mixed-use residential. It's a modest densification. So where I live, there are a bunch of vacant strip malls that are just collapsing. Uh, What this legislation in Utah would do is, in similar situations, allow the conversion of those unused strip malls into apartment complexes, tear them down and build apartments, and you don't have to go through zoning reapproval to do it. That's a brilliant idea. There are so many empty uh, spaces, empty. We've we've got in, in my neighborhood, they built years ago this massive complex. It had a Best Buy. It had a Dick's Sporting Goods. It had a Target. It had an Ashley Furniture. It had a um, an Old Navy. It had a, a Michaels. It had a... Marshalls, everywhere you could possibly imagine, every big box store you could think of, short of a Walmart, it had. The Target closed, the Old Navy closed, the Dick Sporting Goods closed, uh, the Michaels closed. About the only things left are the the uh, Best Buy, which I hear they're probably going to close, and the Marshalls. You could level one half of this whole complex and build apartments there uh, under this law without having to go back and get zoning approval. The parking spots are already there. The space is already there. You could do it. Uh, and that's how Utah is plotting out uh, the housing density issue. It's a great idea, something Republicans probably need to champion around the country. We are pricing people out of being homeowners. There are some people who need apartment complexes. They're, they're never going to be homeowners. Given their disposition, their situation in life, they're never. But for a lot of people who want to be home buyers who can't because there is not available housing, they need some way to get a cheap rental location so they can save their money to buy a house as prices go up. And Republicans and populists together have got to be able to offer the solutions. The 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 left wing groups out there are so beholden to environmentalists who who oppose rapid expansion of development. Republicans have an idea here. They should pursue this. It's a common sense solution to deal with the housing crisis we have in the country with scarcity. Other states should consider this piece of legislation. It's a good idea. Y'all, I'm, I'm not making this up. As I was doing that monologue, I got a text from a realtor offering me an obscene amount of money, cash offer for my house. Uh, <laughs> This is this is what we're doing, and I'm sure it's it's for a for a corporation. I, I'm I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm I'm actually kind of tempted on this one. My gosh. Um, in any event, 
we're not going to do it. Uh, now, uh, let me go. Let's see. I, I got time for the phones here. Uh, Kelly, I want to go to you first. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on Ukraine and them being such a world producer of wheat and how the war over there is going to affect the supply chain of wheat. And is there any plan moving forward? I mean, it's going to probably take decades for Ukraine to rebuild. Gosh, I want to get uh, your that, thoughts on that. It is a good good question, Kelly. Um, it, we're going to have major problems for probably a couple of years. You know, it's not just that they can't plant the wheat. So for perspective, for those of you um, worried about this, Ukraine supplies a third of the wheat for the entire world. Uh, Russia, you add on top of it, and you're bordering on about 40% of the global wheat supply. The Russians are not planting their fields because they're in the area near Ukraine, uh, and you've got uh, military traffic coming through there tearing up the fields. Ukraine is not just uh, can't plant because of weather. The, the, they've had a lot of flooding there, but also the Russians are putting landmines in the fields in addition to the war there, so they can't plant. Uh, you've already got uh, pita bread costs uh, in Lebanon are up over 1,000%. In Egypt, they're starting to really worry about this. We will probably have to open up our supply around the world. Uh, that's going to cause us to see price increases go up. This is a serious, serious global problem. And as long as Russia's in Ukraine, we can't solve the problem. Uh, now, we can convert crops in this country to wheat, get it planted, and prepare for a winter harvest uh, later this year. The problem is we then have to offset other costs. Uh, we should be incentivizing, as a matter of international policy, every farm in America that possibly could grow wheat to grow wheat because it's going to be a global problem. Now, the other problem here is that uh, we are replacing food crop corn with ethanol crop corn as gas prices are high. Uh, that's also not corn that is grain corn for cows and chickens and the like. That's causing problems. I mean, the, the, the amount of problems we're having to deal with because of this situation, the spillover effects of it, they're really, really bad. Um, I'm, and I don't know what the solution is. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Joining me by phone from Washington, D.C. is the ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee in the United States House of Representatives, uh, Congressman Kevin Brady. He's chaired the Joint Economic Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, the Joint Committee on Taxation. Uh, you would say he, he actually has a head for all this finance stuff in Washington. Congressman, how are you? Good, Eric. How are you doing? I'm great, uh, and I know that the, the topic of the day here, one I've been talking a whole lot about, is the inflation picture, and, and I want to come at it with you from a slightly different angle than just the cost on the American taxpayers right now. I had an economist a couple of, I guess a year or so ago, tell me that his concern was when the Fed raised rates and interest rates go up, it doesn't just affect uh, you and me and our mortgages and, and all, it, it also affects the cost to the federal government in terms of paying uh, on the national debt and the debt service, which then eats into the rest of the budget. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, just like in, inflation eats into your pocketbook, I think the average now family in America is paying $5,000 more a year because of the inflation under President Biden. And, and it's accelerating, by the way. Inflation is growing here over the last half a year. So I think Americans are going to have to brace for a lot more pain going forward. But you're exactly right. So when the Fed 
keeps its interest rates low, especially for so long they've kept it low, they basically are giving a pass to the government to keep borrowing more without consequences. And so when you get back to more normal, you know, interest rates, um, you're going to see debt soar uh, in, in, in our debt level soar. And so uh, most people expect that debt will be will grow. Our debt service each year will grow larger than what we spend on defense in just a few years because our spending habits have been so bad. So, yeah, you know, higher rate, normal rates, I would say, Eric, uh, actually sort of reveal the true cost of all this spending and and how much out of our federal budget is going to be mandated to pay that debt service. Now, on, on the larger issue of inflation, you're, you're from Texas. Uh, yes, sir. And it just seems to me that if the bulk of our inflation comes from the massive energy costs that are being passed on to all of us, that if the Biden administration meaningfully expanded energy production in the country, that that would begin to trend line down uh, barrel of oil prices significantly, which could, to some degree, I would think, help us with inflation. And they don't seem to be doing that. Maybe I'm wrong on my presumption, but it seems like you lower energy costs, you start taking care of some issues. No, there's no question about it. About a third of inflation and your daily costs come from your fuel costs. So, you know, they estimate that's about $2,000 more a year people will pay. And there's no question the administration actually doesn't have to take huge actions to produce more oil and gas in America. Simply a green light signal that says we're not going to be attacking you daily actually would have the impact of unleashing, I think, more bidding on leases, more wells that are marginal that can be tapped, uh, more investment in pipelines and other ways to get this uh, this oil to our refineries and back out to communities in America. But he is look, this this uh, Green New Deal is a religion, you know, to this president mm-hmm. and this administration. Uh, they they won't budge on any of this, and even their sort of uh, uh, you know faint. The other day, we're going to start leasing more on and offshore lands. They cut off about 80 percent of what's available. And so it really isn't going to have any impact, in my view. But if they they gave a green light, backed off from their attack, there's no question America would be producing and investing in more producing very soon. Well, you know, I. If I were an investor, and I've tried to explain this to people, say, well, you know, they, they've got all these le- untapped leases and the like. If I were an investor in an oil company, and my dad used to work for Conoco, uh, and here comes the president of the United States who says, your, your industry is destroying the planet, and we're going to put you out of business. I don't know that I would want my investor dollars to go to new production as opposed to giving me back a, a rate of return on what you've already got since the, the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, has declared his intention to make your industry extinct. It, it, it seems like the war of words has paid a price when it comes to energy production. Yeah, there's no question. I think it started, too, with President Obama calling this dirty energy, you know, and, and something we need to eliminate. And, and President Biden has taken that up about 10 different notches. And as you know, look, right now as we're visiting, there's 100,000 wells that are pumping in the U.S., those other 9,000 either don't have permits yet, they're not sure they have oil in them, they're not anywhere close to a pipeline or where they can get them, you know, uh, transferred 
toward a pipeline or, or toward a refinery. And so, look, I, I think it's just um, I think it's really deceitful for this president to be attacking energy from day one made in America and then acting as if energy isn't producing. The fact of the matter is they can produce much more. It's actually an administration that wants to see that happen. Now, beyond the energy issue, uh, Americans, they're seeing pay raises typically, but they're actually seeing a decline in take-home pay because of these costs. Is there anything that Congress, I mean, it seems like Congress doesn't want to do anything right now. Is, is there anything that is under consideration that might on a bipartisan basis get some relief? So the short answer is no, and, and you're right. So um, prices are growing about three times faster than paychecks right now. That was almost the opposite of under the Trump administration. We saw, we saw paychecks going up at twice the rate of inflation, so families were getting ahead, especially people of color. I think right now the, the, the most important thing Congress could do is not make it worse. And right now they are still considering this Build Back Better, uh, $2 trillion, $1.5 trillion filled with you know, a lot of green pork, a lot of more stimulus spending, a lot higher taxes that will translate to higher prices, by the way, all of that. They are still, I think, trying to do that before we leave at the end of July. And that's going to have, I think, even more damaging economic impact. So the best advice for Congress is stop making it worse and stop pursuing that. We ought to be making sure all of our COVID-era uh, spending programs uh, are, are ended, you know, are ended and done. We shouldn't. We should really freeze spending at, at our current level and, and begin to look for ways to to, to be far more efficient uh, as a government. The other thing is, we we still have about two million people who are on the sidelines. They're they're 24 to 54 years old. This administration won't lift a finger to try to reconnect them to work, but that alone would make a big impact because we don't have the people to man the production lines, assemble the products, deliver them, or even service them. And so there just doesn't seem I know the president's bragging about wages, ignoring the price increases, but he's also ignoring the workers who just are sitting on the sidelines. And, and they're pretty key to, to getting this inflation under control. Now, I, I know you're the finance guy, tax code, inflation, finances, but you're also the congressman from Texas uh, outside of Houston, and y'all have this long border with Mexico, and Title uh, 42 is going away, and really, I, I'd be negligent if I didn't get your, your comments on that. I have no words for this. I it, It's cruel and it's dangerous and uh, reckless to end Title 42. with there There is no plan. Uh, in place, we estimate up to 3 million illegal migrants here over the next six months. There's no way to handle them. And, and as you know, border states pay a, a really steep price for these open borders. But the rest of the country is, too, with, with fentanyl now, the number one leading cause of death for children from 18 up to 45. I would I would say every town is a border town, in a sense, because of uh, just because of the drug uh, drugs coming across the border. It is uh, we are we are trying everything we can. The governor is trying everything he can here, but this administration is uh, just seems to be hell bent on on you know sending the signal around the world to come across through the back door of illegal immigration. And and man, we are uh, it, it's it's pretty scary in Texas. 
Well, it, let me just ask you a, a, a somewhat naive question, I guess. But it, so when President Trump issued Title 42, it was done with the pandemic. Uh, it makes sense to me that if the pandemic goes away, the legal basis for 42 goes yeah. away. But there's been no planning whatsoever by the administration. It just seems I mean, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted that you knew this day would have to come and you've done nothing, even given the wave of people we saw last summer to try to alleviate the problem. Well, I, they, they, they want to ignore this problem. They're hoping mainstream media will ignore this problem. So there are no consequences. But but I'll tell you, there's a reason why the number of uh, Hispanics voting in Republican primary doubled here in the last election, which is a remarkable surge because they're seeing the impact in these communities. And it sort of reminds me, and by the way, you had a great tweet yesterday on, on the mask mandates coming off uh, air, airplanes and how the study and airflow showed that there was no transmission between unmasked. Thank, thank you for doing that. But it reminds me of that because they kept, they kept extending that, saying essentially we have no plan to deal with this. Well, the, the, the uh, crisis at the border They've never had a plan for this, and they don't want one. And it's just it's puzzling to me how reckless you can be uh, with so many people's lives. It really is. Congressman, I, I got to leave it there. I, it's always a pleasure having you come by. And, you know, if I could just ask, slide one one more question in here before yes, I sir. have to go to my break. Uh, I know you're you're departing after this year. Uh, yeah. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the next Congress when you're, you're not there? You don't have to worry about it. But if you had to tell them this is the thing you guys got to look at, what would it be? You know, I you know, I would start with I have to start with the, with the economy and the need for workers, because that plays such a key role in, in everyone's lives. But obviously, the border crisis, and, and I think our national security has to be at the top of that as well. You're going to see, too, they, they're putting this, doing this commitment to America, House Republicans. You're going to like this agenda, because it's about what real people, where they need more economic freedom, no, more security, more privacy, more control of their privacy. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited, pretty optimistic about where House Republicans, at least, are going in their agenda. Well, that's good to hear. Congressman, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you have a great day. You too, Eric. Thank you. Take care. You too. Congressman Kevin Brady, he represents the northern part of Houston, uh, the Woodlands, Conroe, that area there, uh, the ranking member on Ways and Means. He's been around for a while. He retires uh, after this year, not having to run again, unlike all of his colleagues. Now, uh, speaking of Texas, there's a great company in Texas. They're headquartered in Dallas that I want you to know about. Been talking about them. They're Christians. They're conservatives. They want you as a customer, and they take a portion of their profits to advance the conservative cause. That would be Patriot Mobile. Of course, they're in Texas. Texas is awesome. Uh, Patriot Mobile takes a portion of your profits that you give them by being a customer, and they fund the conservative movement. And to do that, they give you great discounts to incentivize you move into them. You don't have to worry about the cell coverage because they use the same towers that all the other companies use, the AT&Ts, Verizons. They use those towers too. Congress lets them, and uh, you can get great discounts, and you're worth a great company. You can bring your own phone number over that you've already got or get a new one from them. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. That's patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. And you get free activation with my name. If you want to call them, you don't want to do it on online. You're not comfortable doing that. You can call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You tell them I sent you, you get free activation. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. 
the phone number, well, you know what? I think I got time. John's been waiting patiently. I want to take John's call before I say anything else. John, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, Mr. Erickson. How are you? I'm great. What's going on? Well, uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to mention uh, briefly, uh, first of all, let me thank you for your uh, Christian background. I will say, as a retired Army Ranger, there are no atheists in the firefight. <laughs> but, That's uh, true. <laughs> but I wanted to mention, because you mentioned George Orwell, George Orwell, and a lot of people you know, have crazy ideas about him, but he had the greatest quote in the world. And I wanted to share that. You probably know it, but maybe some of you listeners do not. His quote was, we sleep well in our bed at night because rough men stand ready Mm -hmm. to visit violence on those that would do us harm. It really is. I just wanted to pass that along. It is one of the best quotes, John. Thank you very much for that. Orwell, he may have been a socialist, but he had a head on his shoulders. He understood what was going on. I'll tell you who doesn't. I, I, I'm flummoxed by the Biden administration. I've used the word flummoxed too much lately, but he, it really is. Just l- let me explain my perspective here. The Biden administration knew masks were coming to an end. And they knew there was this case in Florida. They knew that uh, all of the other CDC protocols, the the rental moratorium or eviction moratorium and and the cruise ship uh, pause under the same legislation had been frozen by federal judges and they had no plan at all to deal with the mask mandate and it going away. They they had no plan. They, They had no idea. They kept it going because they didn't know how to end it and uh, resolve the anxiety of progressives who didn't want it to go away. They had no plan. Last summer at the border, we were overwhelmed with illegal aliens. It became a national news sensation into August, September, October. They sent Kamala Harris down there to try to sort it out to no avail. And they had to rely on Title 42, keeping people on the Mexican side of the border. They knew the They wanted to declare an end to the pandemic, and when they did, Title 42 would go away, and they had no plans to deal with the flood. They still, to this day, have no plan to deal with the flood. The uh, ICE Immigration Customs Enforcement is saying they expect uh, about 600,000 people to come across the border. 23 known or suspected terrorists last year were picked up by ICE. We don't know how many uh, crossed that they didn't pick up. We found Ukrainians journeying north to the Mexican border to try to get into this country. We're letting the Ukrainians come in as refugees. They have no plans. They did not think about it. I, I honestly, I say this in all honesty, and I don't mean this partisan, and I don't want the partisan excuses here. Joe Biden has been in Washington, D.C. for 50 years. Ron Klain, his chief of staff, worked for Al Gore and for Joe Biden in the vice president's office. How are they so bad at this? How are they continually and perpetually caught flat-footed by these things? 
They have been dogmatic in trying to end fossil fuels and now have to expand drilling again to lower energy prices, and they're not doing it in a way that will actually remotely impact the problem by any substantive measure. And in doing so, they have angered their progressive allies for even daring to expand the land. They, they're burning bridges with progressives there. They have now burned bridges with progressives on what they're doing at the border. They're burning bridges with progressives by how they were caught flat-footed on the mask mandate and they're not going to fight it. At the same time, they're caught flat-footed and burning bridges with independents over the border and with the mask mandate and with their handling of COVID and with their handling of gas prices and with their handling of inflation. How are they so bad? I don't mean this disparagingly. I don't mean it as a partisan. I am genuinely perplexed as to how a man who's been in Washington for 50 years as a ranking Democrat and his prime minister, if you will, his chief of staff, Ron Klain, who's been a consummate Washington insider for years, how they can be so bad at the basic politics of these things to be caught flat-footed. The only way to keep Title 42 around is to declare the pandemic not going away, and they can't do that politically, and yet they had no fallback plan for dealing with the border. They have no fallback plan for dealing with masks. They have no fallback plans for dealing with any of this stuff. They are caught unprepared, flat-footed, and will be driven uh, out of power by the voters in November where the Republicans will pick up the House and Senate because of it. How are they that bad at the basic politics of this? I have no idea.